You're listening to Games from the Cellar, where we play board games and then talk about them. I'm Steven, your host, and tonight I was joined by John and Samuel to play Primordial Soup. Primordial Soup was designed by Doris Mathias and Frank Nestel and was published by Doris, Doris and Frank in Germany in 1997 and Z-Man Games in North America in 2004. At the time of this recording, Primordial Soup has a 6.9 rating with 4,600 ratings on BoardGameGeek. It has a ranking of 1,083. It's a three or four player medium weight game that should play in about 90 minutes. There is one expansion, Primordial Soup, freshly spiced, that increases the player count up to five or six and adds new gene cards to the game. However, we did not play with this expansion. Thank you for joining us in the cellar as we go in-depth with Primordial Soup. Primordial Soup, 1997, designed by Doris Mathias and Frank Nestle. I got this version from Z-Man back in 2004. I think it was reprinted in English. Gentlemen, let's talk primordial soup what do we think I enjoyed it. well i won so i really enjoyed it it's a, it's an it's it's an interesting game it's you can tell it's a game of its era it's really enjoyable um but it's got that classic german game kind of um running gear to it you know earlier you mentioned you said you know if you, if you came to a modern publisher with this kind of look to a board game they'd be like you got to be kidding me there's no way we're doing this and instead it'd have big minis and something else on it um but instead it's 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 pegs and 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 discs and 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 little knobs but from a functionality point of view it's just perfect i mean it does absolutely everything you need the stems are just tall enough that you can grab and move your pieces around um so that actually brings me to a point. Like, so in most other board gaming content, they always talk about the production value, and you know, plastic miniatures are like the thing, and everything. So, like, when I, the way that I always look at production, because I'm not like a everything has to be plastic kind of guy. When I look at production, I want the production to service the game in the game's rule set. Like, is the production in service of the game and of the rules? And I feel like this is a perfect example of where that happens. Especially given that this game was, you know, designed in the late 90s. Yeah, this and is this a Catan-era game. And this is what was available. I, I right. really feel like the and, the production is in service of the gameplay. And, and oddly enough, at the time this game was published in the 90s, these wooden blocks were the state of the art. And now people look at it and go, it's so bland and so plain. So that now everything's big plastic three foot tall statues instead. And it just goes to show how the, the taste, the, what, what people have decided indicates a good production value just changes this. These pieces are quote elegant as they used to call them as the idea is keeping just basic cubes and colors and keep it as simple as possible. Well, I mean, it's, it's perfectly legible. Right, exactly. You look, at, you look at some of the modern games they have on Kickstarter now, and it's just a riot of color and shapes. And and the shapes in particular sometimes are, are difficult to discern, especially if your eyesight isn't as good as everybody else's. So um, there's certainly nothing on this board that is not immediately apparent. And even the little cards in the middle um, that show you which which direction you drift and the like are very straightforward. Nice big print, very simple. Everything seems to flow. I really like how they actually line up. Yes, the with lines the compass. work. Like the cards are oriented in different directions depending on which direction the drift is in. Yeah, I found that to be a pretty interesting take. And again, very in service with the theme of the game and the play, the gameplay. You can very easily 
look at the board and understand the game state without having to do a lot of mental like arithmetic and, and accounting just to see where the moves are and where the, the good spots are to be. Yeah, and, and the setting itself, the the fact that you are underwater and, and one of your possibilities is a free move in a particular direction, which is the drift of the current. The, the, the setting actually, re- not just the pieces, but the setting itself supports the game very well. So, I mean, this, this is one of those places where the, the entire package is unified. And I, I think that's getting harder to do these days simply because every, everybody wants things to be bigger. And bigger isn't always necessarily better from a, from a unity perspective. So I feel like we've touched on the production of a 1997 game pretty uh pretty well i want to want to call attention oh, to the, the booklet yeah so which i'm just blown away by this, this is, is this is the most amazing thing that all games should have for sure i mean it's i mean if you if you look at the booklet this is a i mean in practice it's not complicated right but i mean keeping in, in your head this many different special abilities for everything so well, essentially I, what I you have is a player aid that serves as a menu for the special abilities, the gene, the gene cards in the game. So essentially what you're doing in the game is you've got a bunch of floating amoeba around that are eating cubes. Um, you have to, it's obligatory to, to do poop jokes here, but you've got amoeba that are floating around eating, eating poop on the board. And then the idea is to use these gene cards to tweak your amoeba in ways to make them more efficient at eating they're, the poop. They're power-ups. So they're yeah. power-ups. And so what you have here is a player aid that has a menu, essentially, of all of the the gene cards that are available to you, how much they cost, um, what their abilities are, how they interact with the other gene cards, and it's perfect in its execution, and it's something that there are so many games out there that could benefit from having... A player aid of this magnitude so right so in a modern game instead they would have a tableau with all the cards laid out at one end of the table which would suck if you're sitting at the far end of the table and you can't read what those cards are so the text is going to be smaller because you have to fit it onto the individual cards to make it work right and you aren't going to have it close enough that you can read it so for those of us who who are, are vision impaired it's much more difficult to have to lean across the table and pick out which card you want because nothing is in front of you whereas with this little fold out menu you can sit there and just scan down the line and one of the things that i noticed on it is you only got so many dollars to spend and that is the first sort so if you've only got four dollars you get to look at uh exactly seven options and you don't have to worry about the rest because you can't afford them. So, so not only is it easier to look at from that perspective, but it's it's easier to rule out everything that simply is not an option for you. So, so your 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 choice of options becomes very, very straightforward. And then when you're done, you talk to the person who has the cards in front of you. And say, hey, pass me the escape card. That's the one I'm purchasing this time. And they just shuffle through. They grab the card that they need and, and hand it to you. Something I thought was interesting is that the cards themselves actually only have a summary of their effects. Mm-hmm. The full text right. is actually in the booklet. Mm-hmm. As opposed to with a lot of modern games, you'll have the, all the text printed on the card, and you look in the book, and it just kind of summarizes everything, if there's a glossary of all the cards. Yeah. Right, So and, and so the text on the cards can remain big because you've got another place to look at it, but from a, from a publishing perspective, their attitude is, oh, I want to be able to sell expansion cards, therefore I can't have this menu 
because it's going to change. So now I have to put all the text on all of the cards, and that means that the font has to get smaller, which means it's harder to read, and it's much harder to pick out what you need to do. So you start having that level of complexity coming in. Now, th now this so, game has an expansion. So there was an expansion. Uh, I haven't played with it yet, but the expansion also comes with a menu with the expansion cards. It's got the updated count for the cards. So depending on your player count, there could potentially only be a certain amount of cards available. This player aid has all the updated for five and six players. It has the new genes. I mean, so you still have the menu. They just, you know, it was an expansion. They reprinted everything that needed to be reprinted and made the adjustments. So, so that includes all the cards from the base set as well as the expansion mm -hmm. set. And then, so with the base, with the expansion set, because it plays five and six players, you're going to have additional copies of the the base set genes, and so it. So those get added in as well. as well. And are there new cards in the expansion as well? There are as well. Yeah. So okay. This board would be messy with six players. This board would be quite busy with six players. So we played three tonight, and three was plenty busy. Frankly, I think a fourth player would have added to the experience, just to add another color to the mix. Uh, in a four-player game, it eats one cube of each of the other three colors. Okay. Uh, okay. So you got to blend it out. So you got to blend it out. In a three-player game, it is two of one and one of the other. So in, in typical evolution game, you, you survive by keeping your amoebas alive, which, which means they got to eat. I think changes would change the dynamic a bit because... Mm -hmm. If you're look, if you're eating one of each color, then by necessity you have to mix things up a bit more. Yeah, but then there's more cubes going out. Eh, it could, Absolutely. It. I mean, it. It's going to be a different game at four players, just like every game. Yeah. Like regardless of what game you're playing, the difference between a three-player game and a four-player game is always going to be noticeable. So, I mean, except for like those multiplayer solitaire types, like wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. John won pretty handily. John, do you want to explain to us your winning strategy and <laughs> how it is that you John essentially <laughs> murdered us and Max Verstappen to this game? Uh, John won by three points. I won by four points. Thank you very much. But that's um. So early on, you know, it's my first time playing this game. I think I, Stephen has played before. Sam, I think, was first time to this game. Yeah, as well. And if I played this game, it was 15 years ago. So, so, so the first thing I did was spend all my money because I'm like, if I'm going to learn a game, I, I need to go out there and try new things and figure it out. So I bought a couple of cards, kind of got things working. Um, and then these guys both bought nasty gram cards where they get to eat my people and I had to very quickly get what's called an escape card, which would let me weasel away. And I'm going to be honest with you, you guys kind of decided that since I had a card that would allow me to just escape, you would start pounding on each other's heads instead. Yeah, and, and that, um, th at least with us fighting each other, there was a chance that we could still feed ourselves, where if you had the, the currency, the biolog biological points to scoot out right then there, that basically negated that chance yeah so we we touched on this earlier but because there's only a limited number of each card in this case one escape card and one defense card uh, steven was left with no way to protect himself from being eaten so from my end the calculus was simple i could attack john and he would probably escape or i could attack steven and he was helpless I imagine from Steven's end, the calculus was John probably escapes and I might beat him up, but if he doesn't eat me, I'm probably going to eat him. Yep. So, yeah, it didn't make sense for me to go after John at all 
especially when he had uh, a speed mutation. Yeah. So he had, he, I mean, John could zip around the board. I mean, at, at will. Um, I mean, he still had to roll the dice and he was at the whims of the dice, but the, the, his mobility was ridiculous as so, far as. And, right. And one of the power ups that I picked up was speed, which allows me to move twice instead of just once. And that always, that applies to the escape as well. So, so by being the guy in the lead, because where your position is, everything is done in descending order of score or ascending order of score. And in that particular case, the fact that you guys were coming at me first, not only, not only was I able to escape, but it was often the case that I was able to escape into a place that I would not have been able to reach if I had just not been attacked at all and would have had to only move once. So you're giving me a, an, an extra turn to move each time as well. Yeah, and I think it's it's worth pointing out here the way movement works in this game is you have to move your amiibos. You can either drift with the current, in which case you move one square in that direction, or you can spend a point of currency to roll a die and move the direction determined by the die. Which means that most of the time, unless you have a very pricey upgrade, you're not really directing your movement. You're just kind of trying to guide them along a helpful path. Unless you're John and you get to move twice. <laughs> which really mitigates that. I mean, well, there's other speed cards in there, I think, too. So I think there were two. Yeah, I had the... I had the one that allowed me to roll the dice without paying, which was nice. That's nice, yeah, too. No, there's only one speed card. And then I got the other one that allowed me to roll two dice and choose which one I wanted. So I was essentially rolling two dice for every movement and, and not having to pay for not it. Not having to pay for it. But, uh, you know, dice are dice, and uh, you kind of... So that's the kind of thing where, you, you know, you play a game like this, and then three months later when you pull it out again, because we all have too many games... You're like, okay, so what was it that Stephen had that worked out so well? It was the something or other where he didn't have to pay. So you sit there and you go through, and you end up, you end up playing each other's games thinking, because it always looks better when somebody else is doing it. it. Oh, for sure. So, so so you all end up changing positions, and you all end up trying the other thing out. And this is, this is a game, I think, where you could probably try other things out a dozen times before you start really getting the hang of what your particular groove should be in this game. Yeah, I mean, in, in retrospect, I think I didn't value mobility enough, and I think uh, I don't think I should have gone in with the survival, the or struggle survival card to let me eat, guys. I think I should have just grabbed a fence. Because yeah. I've run through so much of my currency just trying to and you know, keep I, even. I didn't grab it because I wanted to be a tacky in this game, it just so happened that the way we were playing it, John kind of like scorched earth. Yeah. Like a whole, the whole, well, I'm going to say the right whole side of the, board, of the board, but yeah. it's the left side for, for them. And that just happened to be where most of my guys were at the time. So in order to survive, I needed to be able to attack because you need to be able to eat. I wouldn't be able to eat otherwise. So that was really the, the onus for me taking um, taking those cards. It wasn't anything about, you know, this game needs to be more interactive. The game's interactive enough without attacking, to be completely honest. Well, but I mean, I'll admit, I only grabbed the card because, because I, I did. Because you did. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt like that was in a Cold War situation where if I didn't grab Assured it... Assured mutual destruction. Well, I was because there's only two of them. Mm -hmm. So I was concerned that if I didn't grab it, John would. 
and then we'd both be jumping and, on and, you and, and eating you. And 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 early on, I grabbed that speed card I, to move for the same reason because I didn't just scorch the earth for you. And it's kind of interesting. The board is essentially a grid that you're moving around. And um, if you stay in one place too long, you eat up all the food that you can eat, and all you leave behind is the stuff that you can't eat. Um, and since you need to eat from two different colors in a three-player game, if one space has a great big pile of red cubes on you, it it does you no favors whatsoever. So not only did I scorch the earth for you guys, but I scorched the earth for myself. And what, what ended up happening as the game went on is the two different ends of the board sort of became unfavored ground, and the stuff in the middle seemed to still be working. Um, the, the, the other side of the board eventually broke loose again towards the end, but the fact that the board has a, has a narrative to it changes as the game progresses really kind of paints a story. And, you know, I, I appreciate we're just kind of pushing cubes around, but at the same time, um, with the theme attached to it, you sort of get an idea of a particular patch of ocean that has become a dead spot for everyone. And But it eventually gets a chance to come back around again. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that there are actually evolutions that no one grabbed that would have allowed you to uh, kind of... Yeah, rebuild a section. Had, of the board. Yeah, had the game progressed another round or two, I was planning on going down that route. Um, I think one of them was that you can substitute uh, a color for another color, so that would have allowed me to eat only red cubes and be able to do that. And then I would start. You would have been fat city over there. That as well. And then I would have started pooping out yellow cubes. And then that would have been prime for Samuel to come in behind me. And he would have brought blue with him. And, and he would have brought blue. blue and everything comes back to life. Yeah. So and we have a healthy ecosystem again. Once again. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, over. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I will say it's interesting because each cube eats three and then kind of excretes two. So you'd think that over time the board would become emptier, but I'm not sure that's the case. So what also happens, that I don't know if we mentioned it at any point yet, but part of what also happens is when a cube starves, it takes a damage marker. And in a round, there's a phase called the death phase, where if a, if a marker, if a player, um, if an, an amoeba. amoeba has two... Uh, starvation tokens on her, two starvation beads, rather, it will die. And when it dies, it lyses and essentially puts out two of each color in its spot. So that moves so, six cubes onto the board so that, for that. That introduces six more cubes. So I think the economy, while looking at it on the surface of, okay, I eat three to put out two, you would think that the board would... Well, because the odds of an amoeba surviving for more than six rounds is pretty slim. It's very slim. But you can see on the board where there are spaces that have, what's that, like 12 cubes on it? Mm -hmm. And then there are other spaces that only have two. And they did each start with six cubes. And they all started with six. So essentially what you're seeing is their amoebas picked up food, took them to another space, and then died, and then dumped a bunch of cubes in those spaces. So the economy of the cubes on the board is actually really interesting in that, like I said, at first blush, it looks like eventually the, the board state will be at no money. There'd be no cubes. But, you know, with the amoeba death and the way that that works, uh, you're actually are introducing in more and more. And uh, it, the, the ebb and flow of this game is, is really, uh, it's really elegant in how it works. And it's just, 
it's a shame that um, games like this from the early days of modern board gaming kind of fell fall to the favor. wayside. Yeah. Yeah, I will say this. I mean, it, it. I don't necessarily want to call it a simple game. It's easy to pick up, though. But it's easy to pick up, and I think there is an elegance in the mechanics because the mechanics themselves aren't complicated. It's how they interact that creates complexity. And I think in a lot of modern games, they can be very complicated, but they're complicated because there's a lot of different tokens and scoring tracks, and you're moving things around, and you're counting modifiers. And That's not present here. I, I, I like that the complexity stems from... The, the gameplay itself, yeah, emerges out of the out of simple rules is is emerging some exactly. game, Compared and to like Ark Nova, which is a fine game, I enjoy it, but there's nothing like this sort of emergent complexity. Right, and there's there's a binding in the players here, and that you, there's kind of an advantage to following along where your fellow players have been because they're putting out the colors that you need, so you want to get close, even though they're going to eat you. So you want to get close, but you don't want to get too close. And then at that point, you start having those sorts of, you know, you weigh the risk-reward. Whereas I think in a lot of modern games, there is an optimal way to play. There is a best way to go after something. This game is not lending itself to that. And I get the feeling if we had chosen different um, upgrades, different evolutionary changes for our, I guess their genes, I think is what they're called in the game. My apologies, first time playing. Um you can end up with a very different set of criteria for what is good behavior. And um, with each person having a different set of genes, you're playing in a very different way. So so right now they talk about, oh, asymmetry. It's wonderful. Well, this game builds asymmetry in depending on what you pull and um, gives you the ability to either pick a favored track or in the case of us where we don't really know how to play very well, you just kind of you kind of wing it and you see how it goes. And each of us kind of had to develop a different set of behavior. So that, that made the game a little more interesting as well. It did. I, I like that uh, you can decide what you're doing, you can you know specialize your guys, but even then, you're mostly at the whim of the dice as to where you end up going. Um, I mean, there's ways to mitigate it. There, but there are ways to mitigate, but I, I like that there's still randomness and you're trying to mitigate that randomness mm-hmm. rather than random beings are deciding. Yeah, it's what, uh, what do you call it? Luck then roll or luck then decision versus decision and luck. Tactics is dealing with the. So the difference between strategy and tactics is strategy you execute throughout the game, like you you plan a strategy and you execute it throughout the game, and tactics is what happens on the move to move basis that you might have to make adjustments to. That's what I was reaching for. So, I, I like there's a lot of tactical complexity. Yeah, here. there's definitely... It, this is def, definitely more of a tactical game yeah, than a strategic definitely. game. But this, there isn't no strategy, right? Because you can, you can curate the cards you have. Yeah, to, I mean, so yeah, for sure. The so the if you have in your mind when you start the game, I want to go after these particular gene cards, then, yeah, that's, that's a loosely strategy. I would call it like a light strategy. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, assessing the game state at the beginning of each round and, um, whether or not you want to pay to move versus drifting, those are all tactical decisions. And then even, even, um, more granular than that, when we're in the same spot, we have to choose whether we want to attack or not. Those are also tactical decisions. So, um, I think, you know, there is some strategy in that, you know, you get to pick what, 
kind of card you want to go after. Um, but yeah, it's really more what I'd call it like a real good tactical game. Yeah. The other thing that's really that I found to be interesting, but at the same time I was kind of sad about because I didn't get to play with them. The gene cards are very limited. So um, in the set of cards with three players, there's only one of most of the gene cards. So if you're not the first player to grab it, then <laughs> you don't get it. you don't get to play it. And you know that's that could be strategic as well because you might have to grab something to keep it from being grabbed by another player who might have good synergy with another card that they've already grabbed. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how this would, you know, plays five, six, and seven could be very different than plays one and two just because you you know what's in there and you know what cards work well together. So I, with a quick counting. In a three-player game, there are two gene cards that are doubles. Everything else is only, there's only one of it in the deck. Mm -hmm. In a four-player game, there are ten cards that have doubles. But only two out of four people are getting them. But only two out of four people are getting them. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it makes it, inter it, makes it interesting in that, in that there's a race to get certain cards. Yeah, I mean, you picked up Streamlined, and John picked up Speed, and that was kind of it for mobility. Yeah. And there were a couple other mobilities, but, but yeah. But those are the, those were the big ones. Yeah. Right? You got to move for free. He got to move twice. Yeah, and then I think the Spore card that he picked up early on in the game, I think it was his first pickup, mm -hmm. yeah. was really good because it allowed him to enter the map from anywhere. See, I wasn't as impressed by that. I mean, I thought it was... I wanted I was. to have it because I got stuck in positions where... Cause you, because normally you have to place adjacent to your amoebas that are on the board. I was in positions where my amoebas weren't around good sets of food. And so if I had spores, I could have spread out and put myself in better shape for food. I, guess I, never, so, felt, I never felt that sting. Yeah. So for me, it, it, I kind of was like looking at the spore card, kind of going, "Man, I wish I had grabbed that one. That would have been great to have." Yeah, I wanted the speed card. Yeah, the you speed card. Move twice, and then if you don't end up where you want the first time, you can move again. Yeah, that's great. So you're saying I had all the good cards? Yes. And my, maybe, I mean, we, maybe that's why I won. We, we, I had no we, clue what I was doing. We did. We did say you Max Verstappen in this game, and he definitely has the best car. So, for anyone that understands F1. So uh, I guess the only thing left to do is, what did you think of this game? Is it something that uh, you'd ask for again, even if it's three months, six months down the line? Um, yeah, and and you know, like like Goldland and Tikal and others of of this era, it's just it's it's an interesting. I, I tend to like more tactical games, and I tend to like games where. You need to set yourself up so that when the die roll comes, you've got a shot at success. Instead of the other way around where you roll a die and you say, okay, this is what I have to work with and I'll just manage to ring it out. So I think this this is my kind of gaming. I like that old German style game. I don't want to call them Euro games because it changed so much. But the, you know, you know that, that late 90s era when games still kind of were aimed towards family, towards church groups, towards... Um, a, a more casual setting where you can get a chance to sit down and pour yourself a glass and chat while you're playing. And this, this is a very good game for that. There's a lot of thinking going on here and there's a lot of opportunity to, to work the angles. But at the same time, we were, we were just 
talking about this and that the whole time as well and gave us a chance to have some fellowship along with the gameplay. Well, certainly I think that you can put a lot of thought into it, but I don't necessarily think you'd do too badly if you just kind of went with the flow, right? I mean, this was our first playthrough and we didn't really spend, spend time agonizing over the decisions we made. And we did reasonably well, right? I mean, John beat me by four points and I'm four points ahead of Steven, I guess, on a 40-point track. Yeah. That's not terrible. Right? No. Yeah, it was, it was it was a close game. It was a pretty close game. And sure, I'm, I'm sure if we put our heads to it, we could have squeezed a little bit more efficiency out of our turns and, and maybe cut down on a round or two, but it's, this wasn't a terribly long game. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it clocked in under just about an hour from once yeah. we got started. And yeah. I, got, I got the feeling that I, I was getting a chance to play the game the way I wanted to play the game. It wasn't this, well, I'm stuck doing this, because that's the only Yeah, there are a lot option. of games that play you, like yeah. Ark Nova, for instance. Like, you're really at the mercy of the cards that you draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to roll with them. you got to do your best. Like, you can, you can sit down and say, I really want to, I, w- I really want to build out a reptile house. And never see a <laughs> reptile. Never see a reptile house. And... You know, and like the the last time we played, I just I felt like I hadn't. What well, wasn't the last time? It was uh, like the third time we played. Literally felt like I had no control over the board state at all, and it just was a really weird experience uh, for a game that I thought that I liked. And um, but yeah, this you know, no, I bringing know, it back around. I know exactly what you mean. This it felt almost refreshing to feel like the board state was a direct result of our actions. Yeah, every action that we had, every action we took had consequences, and it's all reflected here in the and, board and, state. And, and every every time it was your turn, you had opportunity to go in a couple of different ways. And and frankly, I really liked, I mean, we called it a menu before for the gene cards. Mm-hmm. I really liked they were just all available. There mm-hmm. was a limited supply, but you could just buy whatever you wanted. Yeah, I mean, you there didn't are, have like three cards that came up for sale every round. And yeah, there, there are three or four that are advanced cards where you had to have the prerequisite card first but i mean you knew what they were and they were available if you had the prerequisite so yeah everything was available and everything was just there for you to get and i can so easily picture if this had been just made in the the modern times that wouldn't be the case right you yeah. have like a marketplace of three it would or four it'd be like john said would come up there'd be a display on one side of the board with six cards that are available and then after the round they get wiped and you'd have a new set of six cards and there'd be like you know 200 car a uh, 200 right. card deck to go through yeah. and that's what that's what i was just thinking they, they would find a way to just get and and the idea is that well in theory it's more replayable, but in, in reality it just it adds some complexity that makes the game far less accessible when you're coming to it for a first or second yeah. well, time. Even, well, even as a if you play the game many times, right? I mean, this is a the components are simple, the rules are simple, but the the elegant the complexity is emergent, mm-hmm. and I like that. There's an elegance there that I think is missing from a lot of more modern games. Yeah, I mean it's. Maybe I'm just playing the wrong games. Yeah, it's in the same elk as like El Grande, where all the components are same, the same. There's not a big deck of cards. There's not something that makes every game significantly different than the next game. But the emergent gameplay is such that you could play. I mean, you could probably play El Grande like every every other every other week or at least once a month, and never really get tired of it. 
Well, and, th- and each personality sitting at the table mm-hmm. can have a direct effect on how you play. It's not just the game that's driving how you play. It's the people at the table as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this could be, you know, in a, in a world where there isn't a glut of board gaming titles... Um, you know, if this, if this were in my collection of, and I only had like 15 or even 10 games, like I could play this like once a month and probably not get tired of it for quite a while. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, just off the top of my head, you could play as like John did and be super mobile and float around the board. You could, you know, buy all the food related cards and just kind of eke out as best you can, or you could just go full on Predator around the board trying to eat people and i think the game would play out very differently for you and everyone else depending on which one you chose yeah and you don't even have to like do the archetype thing you can really mix and match it and still have like a really good experience for sure i think my only complaint about this game is that the blue pieces have black numbers on them and i for the life of me it's a really dark blue too it's a really dark blue. that is my only complaint everything else about this game is is enjoyable it's fantastic I can totally see myself buying a copy of this and then bringing it out to play with people. Right, yeah. and get yourself a white Sharpie pen and write over right. top of the numbers that are on it. Because, you or know what? Or silver or whatever. For what you're going to pay for this game and for the kind of pieces they are, you would have no problem doing that. It wouldn't bother you in the slightest. This I mean, isn't a museum like, piece. Each of the different colors have different... Little eyeballs and stuff. They have the little eyeballs. Just I mean, little I details. see those on the the little amoebas on the board. They have little sad faces. They're, they're, they're actually playing cards on each other, and, and they've got little cubes. I mean, even the, e- even the art manages to work in the gameplay as well. The one, the one, one little guy's eating cubes, which is just what you do when you play the yeah. game. So, All right, so uh, that's going to end our session report for Primordial Soup. I think uh, around the table we enjoyed the experience. Yes. And probably... Look forward to uh, giving this one a shot later on down the road. Yeah, solid 8 or 9 out of 10. All right. Podcast out. John, Sam, and I thank you for joining us in conversation about Primordial Soup. You can join us in conversation by visiting our website, sellergames.com, where you can find links to our social media and Discord server. We also have a blog and guild on BoardGameGeek. We look forward to hearing from you.